0: Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Well, good morning. It's good to hear you talk. It's medicine to my soul. Uh, it's good to hear everyone, and and I hope you had a great... Christmas holiday. I hope that you've enjoyed your time together with family and friends. This weekend is set aside for family blessing and that's why all of us are in here together, our families, our kids and we're looking forward to that. And We're going to do that in just a minute. We're going to come to the Lord's table together. We're going to pray together over our families. Pray that God blesses you in this new year, this year to come in 2014 and so we know that God's up to good things and we just want to we just want to make way for that through our time together, our fellowship, and our prayer. Well, this has been a, you know, a season of hope for Annette and I. This really has been. We've experienced the great blessing of you hoping for us during the most difficult time in our lives. And um, one of the benefits of you hoping for us has been strength, uh, that we've gained strength because of that. And I suppose that when people get together and people hope for you, strength is one of those things that you would certainly experience. But let me ask you this, and, and it's really a, a question that I want to hear answered in this place today. When someone has helped or hoped for you, um, what did you experience? I mean, I said that I experienced, Annette and then I experienced strength. When someone has hoped for you in a time of need or, or something you face that's been difficult, an hour that's been difficult, a season that's been difficult, what is it that you've experienced when others have has hoped for you? And I just want to leave it open. Love, I heard that back there, love is something. Patience, yeah. Encouragement, appreciation. I don't want to miss anybody. And you can, it can be more than one word if you'd like, too. I like the one words, but it can be more than one word. Right. Courage. Okay. So did it help you courage? It helped you be courageous? Helpfulness. Yeah. Helpfulness. So when someone hoped for you, you felt like they were helping you. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's good. Cool. Joy. joy. Yeah, it brings a joy. I mean, real joy fresh wind in your sails yeah emotionally that you weren't alone someone was with you something about that when two or three walk together it's uh, encouraging to the soul confidence that you could do it I mean if there's other people there there's a confidence that you can move ahead holiness yeah there's something about that that's divine that's holy when people come together you can just sense you know God's presence through the whole thing as well giving yeah when someone hoped for you it was giving they were giving something to you weren't holding back I heard another one back here peace good healing clarity endurance restoration restoration Strength. Say that one more time. Honesty. Honesty. Yeah. I mean, when people are helping, there's something pretty honest about that. And you can't walk with each other and be that close, and especially when it's difficult and not have some honesty come out about each other. Priorities. Priorities. It does kind of set your priorities in order, doesn't it? Reconciliation yeah I heard it what was that a path path. yeah somewhere to and it and sometimes it's not the next 10 steps it's just that next one step and uh, makes a difference security yeah faith helps build your faith too yeah makes you stronger yeah It's encouraging, isn't it? You know, when someone comes along and helps you, it's pretty encouraging. That's good. You've encouraged me by saying encouraging. When someone hopes for you, you feel hope. Yeah, so you get hope. Wow, all these amazing virtues that we experience when someone, you know, has hope for us. Here's another question. How many here need someone to hope for you today? Lift your hands. Yeah. You just need someone to hope for you. Because you're facing something, you're dealing with something, it's difficult. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. God knows. But you just need someone to hope for you. I'm going to ask you to do this one more time. Just lift your hand, those that just lifted their hands. Now, if you're around someone who's lifted their hands, just notice, look around and what we're going to do is just pray for each other. So put your hands on each other's shoulders or, um, you know, hold someone else's hand. But let's just make sure those that need someone to hope for them today um, have something flesh and blood real that happens or something that re- real that takes place <clears throat> in their lives. Because I know what it feels like to have people hope for you. So let's do that today. Father, we just thank you for the hope that you bring to us and the hope that you bring to us in flesh and blood, the people that are around us, the people that are touching our shoulders or encouraging us, standing with us. Lord, we need that. And I just pray for every heart that needs hope today that you would bring that to their circumstances, whatever it may be, whatever those situations may be, whether they're physical or they're relational, you know all of that and so you take care of that. Just buoy us up right now and bring hope to our lives. Bring hope to our families. You have hope for us. We hope for others. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isn't that good? There's hope in here, isn't there? That's, that's a good thing to experience when you have that in your life. Let me read you a, a scripture. You may want to jot this down, especially... If you lifted your hand and you just need someone to hope for you, there's a great scripture. It's Romans 5, 5. And it says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So we heard words like love and compassion. Uh, those are things that that happen during this time. So many great virtues, so many great activities happen when someone hopes for us. So it's Romans 5, 5. If you want to jot that down, take that home, look at it, and read it. You know, I've been on this, uh, this journey, as most of you know, that has had me confront my limitations, and I hate that. I don't know if anyone really likes to be confronted with their limitations, uh, but I have, and I've had to be real with being confronted with my limitations. My heroic virtues don't help me anymore. Um, they just don't, you know, take that mountain, charge this, take that, do this. Uh, you know, that all really had to go out the window and saying to the Lord, here it is. I, Yeah, I, I have to deal with these limitations. What I really need more than anything else is I need humility and I need honesty in my life. Uh, my enemies are thoughts like this. And tell me if you might identify with this. Here's an enemy of, of my life here's an enemy of my well-being the thought i deserve that that can take me down like that or i want that or i need that. that 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 those those thoughts i mean they just come at me sometimes a mile a minute and i recognize that that's that's my enemy that's the enemy of my soul that's the enemy of peace And the enemy of grace, the enemy of all those things that I want in my life. And so the battle isn't so much outward anymore. The battle is is in my head. It's in my heart. Now it's simple for me. I, I have one response to all of that. And my response is, thy will be done. It's amazing how powerful that is. Thy will be done you're submitting you're surrendering to uh, to your god you're you're saying lord i it's not my will whatever happens in here it's your will and by doing this i'm moving along from being self-controlled to being more god-controlled so god is working more in my life Uh, I must be on a a journey that is similar in spirit to Abraham. I'm moving from what I have to what I don't have. It's kind of odd, isn't it? It's a reverse of what the world kind of teaches you. I'm moving from what I see to the unseen. Um, Heaven is a beautiful place. Uh, I'm looking forward more and more to Jesus coming back. All these things are meaning more to me now than they've ever meant to me before. And some things that I know I've had to learn, and one of the things that I have really had to learn is how to listen again. And how important listening is to my life, how important, how important listening is to all of our lives. I think where listening, for me, cannot be an occasional practice, but it has to be a constant because it is my lifeline to real life. It's my lifeline. And listening is coming in different forms, different ways that I need to listen. The first way is listening to that still, small voice of God in my life. Taking time and making sure I'm paying attention to that still, small voice, which has been a time of painful insights. It's been a time of major surgery. You can be sure that... When God speaks to you in that still, small voice, he's wanting to do something in your heart. He's wanting to do something in your character. He's wanting to do something in your life that will change you forever. Don't be fooled by the still, small voice. The still, small voice wants to bring transformation to your life. The still, small voice for me is painfully redefining what victory is, what success is. Someone said over here, I think it was Dave, said priorities get readjusted. That's just the way the still small voice has worked in my life. And the place that that's mentioned is in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's the great story of the great prophet Elijah doing more miracles except maybe than Jesus. I mean, some pretty great, awesome miracles this guy does. I mean, he's, he's really running with the wolves. He's, he's, he's you know, he's... He's kicking butt and taking names is what he's doing. And, and that's just the nature of who he is. But he comes to this place in, in 1 Kings 19 and he is really, he's burned out. He's even more than burned out. He goes and lays under a tree and says, God, just take my life now. I mean, I'm done. I'm, it's over. And instead of God taking his life, he feeds him miraculously and he, 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 he goes to a cave and, and he says, I want you to hear me. I want you to find me. And he steps out. Elijah steps out into the open of this cave. And and then the Bible says there's this, the wind starts blowing. It's a mighty wind. And he doesn't hear God in the wind. And then the earthquakes. And he doesn't hear God in the earthquake. And then there's a fire. And he doesn't hear God in the fire. And what's interesting to me is he's been accustomed to all these things. You think about these kind of events. are pretty dramatic events this is what he's used to hearing this is what he's used to being part of and god says i i I don't want you to go there anymore to hear or find me Uh, i want you to hear my still small voice and god comes and speaks to him in this still small voice and what he does is he, he he recoils he throws his mantle or his his uh his robe over the top of his head and he goes oh my gosh And the Lord asks him another question, the same question he asked him before. He said, Elisha, what are you doing here? And Elisha recites this. He says, I'm the only one that stands for justice. I'm the only prophet that's still alive, which wasn't true. There were a lot of other ones. But that's the way he felt. He felt pretty much all alone. He felt it was over. And what God is really saying to him is I want you to recount how you got here. It's important for your healing You know how you got here, and you know that your healing is going to come through a still small voice. You need to know that. And it's after that, Elijah doesn't really get it. He's still reciting that it's me, I'm just, he justifies everything. I mean, it sounds good, but it's justifying where he's been. And so, what God does is he sets him aside for a season, and I think. That what he learns during that time, the Bible doesn't say it all together, but what he learns that during that time is how to listen to the still, small voice of God. And I pray that's true for all of us, that we learn, if we haven't already, to listen to the still, small voice, putting on the mind of Christ. It's essential today. Listening is coming another way, and that's listening to wise counsel, I need spiritual guidance because the the rules I used to follow don't work anymore. The things that you used to be able to say, hey, just check this box, this box, and this box, and everything will be okay. Uh, It's not okay. It doesn't work that way. That's not a program. It's a process. It's a journey. It's relationship. You know, I'm a control freak. And so what I want to do is just try to make everything you know, line up so the outcome is what I want. Sometimes I call those prayer requests. (laughs) Let's just be honest. My little man told me to be honest today. I'm being honest. But that's the way we, we, we line things up because we don't want things to get messy. We don't want things to be outside of our control. It makes us really nervous. But I understand that's where real life is lived. It's kind of lived in the mess of the day. What I'm learning is it's about letting go. It's about trusting. It's about surrender. And through that, I know there's peace that comes. I know that there's joy that comes. I know there's love and compassion that comes through that process. And then there's listening to you, our church community. You know, there's a direction wisdom that God gives us that can only be found in community if we really listen. You know, God's speaking in your heart. He's speaking to you. He's saying things to you that I want to pay attention to, that I want to listen to. Because I trust God's Holy Spirit in you and what he's doing in you, and how he's using you. And, and that's important for me. And so listening to what God is doing in your life is critical to my life. I need that. And the other thing is listening to our community outside the walls of this church. What is God up to in our neighbors? And that's where I want us to be directed a little more this morning is thinking about where are we going? What's God asking of us? And it's really listening to what's out there. And when we usually think of, of neighbors, uh, we, we think of the people, rightfully so, who live, who dwell to the right and the left of us. But I want you to think of your neighbors as more than that. I want you to expand the sphere of neighbors. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you to do that by thinking this way. Because I, I heard a phrase a few months back that caught my attention. And that phrase is living sideways. And, it's, and it has to do with the question, who's my neighbor? Not just who are the people that are living to my right and to my left sideways. But who's my neighbor wherever I am? Wherever I, who's your neighbor right now? Who's sitting to your right? Who's sitting to your left? Who's your neighbor when you're in church? Who's your neighbor when you're at school? Who's your neighbor when you sit on the bus? Who's your neighbor when you go to work? These are important people. God loves these people. And asking that question can revolutionize the way that you live life. Who's my neighbor right now? And the reason this has been so important to me is because i become so obsessed with what's next, what's ahead of me, the next event, the next meeting, the next challenge. Sound familiar? looking at the calendar and thinking, oh, I've just got three days till this and six days to this and this and this and this and not really paying attention to who's next to me, who am I living sideways with? I was so focused on the next thing out in front of me, I overlooked who was right beside me. My neighbor was right beside me. And what God is telling me when I'm sitting next to or with neighbors He's saying, these are the most important people to you right now. Don't pass this up. No matter what they look like or how they speak or what culture they come from or their religion or their politics, they happen to be right there in my neighborhood. They're my neighbors. And God is teaching me how to live with neighbors that are just a little different than me. And I love it. And I think he's asking us that question now. Who, who's your neighbor? When Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? It's interesting how he answered that question. Because the law givers or the scribes, the Pharisees, they were just wanting one answer. They were just saying, what is the greatest law out there, Jesus? And he gave them two answers. He didn't give them just one, which is really interesting to me. He said, well, let me tell you the first one, but there's two. The first one is this, that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul. And then he throws in the second one. he says, but the second one is, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see how important that is to God? How important that is? That we recognize that? And I have literally had to repent of the conviction that I've had Because I haven't been a good neighbor. I want to be a good neighbor. I'm learning to be a good neighbor. And I know this is the journey that the Lord has me on. And apparently, God valued neighboring so much that he became one to us. Eugene Peterson in the message in John chapter 1 verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. You know, there are some important things that God wanted me to know about neighbors before I could, I could move on, before I could grow. And really, neighboring and being a neighbor is part of my healing process. And I have been surprised over that. You know, I've, I've really been surprised that neighboring and learning how to be a good neighbor and being with neighbors has been a huge part of me growing and healing. But I think that's just the way God intends it to be. But he's reframed some of my theology when it comes to neighbors. And let me, let me tell you how he's, he's shifted some things in my life. One is this, that God loves my neighbors the same as he loves me. And everyone says, oh, yeah, yeah, he does. I mean, that's, that's a truth. That's a <laughs> universal understanding. But let me tell you how easy it is for theological elitism to creep in because I love conditionally we, we do, we love conditionally after a while in our Christian circles we think that God somehow loves like we love and he doesn't God loves unconditionally do you see how easy it is to slip over and say well, you know I know God loves me but I don't know so much about these folks you know, they look, they look a little different they dress a little different they're not like me Well, newsflash, he not only loves your neighbors as much as he loves you, he loves your enemies as well. See how your theology has to get adjusted a little bit? Maybe just tweaked a bit, but how important that is for us to know. God's teaching me to see my neighbors through his eyes. There is a place in the Gospels where every now and again it says, and He saw the multitudes, I think Matthew chapter 9, it's a great one. He says, and he saw the multitudes, and his heart was broken. He saw that they were like sheep without shepherds. They were like little chicks without a mother hen. I've pulled the word multitudes out. That's the word that's used, and I've inserted another word there, and and I think I'm okay by doing so. Jesus saw his neighbors. And and his heart was broken. Next time you read through the Gospels, flip those words out. Multitude seems, and I know the writers didn't mean for it to be that way, but it seems kind of impersonal, doesn't it? it? It makes us feel sometimes or think that when we're reading that, he just saw this great mass of people. No, he had the ability to look into every one of their hearts because he loved them. He was their neighbor. They were his neighbor. And he wanted the best for them. And I'm learning how to want the best for my neighbors. I'm learning how to be a good neighbor. And so I realize that God loves my neighbor the same as he loves me. And here's something else. God is working in the lives and circumstances of my neighbors the same as he's working in my life. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good and God loves me and I'm doing all these, you know, fine and wonderful things. God's really at work in my life. But I'm not so sure he's at work in everyone else's life the same way. He is. He's at work in all of our lives. Even people you would look around and say, well, is he really at work in their lives? Yes. You mean even the people that don't go to church? Like he's working in their lives? Yes. You mean people who don't believe the same way I do? People who don't have the same political persuasions? He's working in their lives? Uh-huh. Wow. He, he's, he's an active God. And he's working at people. He's working in people's lives. Just as much as he's working in your life, just as much as he's working in my life, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 5, 16. He says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh by the way they appear, by the way they look. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him, thus no longer. What he's saying is, hey, God is at work in people's lives who are completely different than us, than me different culture, different language, different food, different sexual orientation. He's a work of people's life. You know why I need to know this? Is because if God hasn't given up on anybody, why should I? And so I recognize that when I categorize others, what it does, when I label others, it creates distance and it gives us a convenient exit strategy for avoiding involvement. Well, you know, I really don't have anything in common with them. I don't really have any affinity with them. I don't need to get involved. And yet, they're right there. They're, in, they're your neighbors. You see, when we label... When we categorize, it just gives us a reason just to stiff-arm people. It gives us a reason not to bring hope to other people who are different than we are. I don't want to live that way. Because I know God didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. He embraced. He brought. He included. And then here's something else. And this is probably the one that rocked my world the most. really transformed me the way that I think is that God uses my neighbors to help me when I'm in trouble now I want to tell you where I come from there you know after a while in this Christian world and life we think that at least I thought that I'm the one who flies in with a big S on the chest and we bring help to people who need help because sometimes people really don't even know they need help so we've got to tell them And I got to be the one. This is what I found out that my neighbors have helped me a lot more than I've helped them in these recent months. They've thrown me a lifeline. People I never knew, people who never really even came to church, people who didn't really know what I did. They, they were the ones that threw me a lifeline. And I realized something. I realized in order for us to really be neighbors, there are going to be times I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be in need. And that's the time I have to let my neighbor help me. And, and I think that message is really clear with how Jesus came to us, how God came to us. See, God came to us as a baby. And what's he saying by that? He's saying, I'm vulnerable. I need you to help me. I need you to help me eat. I need you to help me learn how to play, how to live, how to have conversation. I need you to help me. You see, God knew that in order for us to really be good neighbors, we have to be there to help, but we also have to be there and be willing to be helped I didn't know that somehow that just was not on my radar and then I met a friend and he's given me permission to to tell the story but I met a friend named Mike and Mike's a truth teller in my life Mike and I have different backgrounds but we become fast friends been hanging out together And the great thing about the people I hang out with, you don't have to tell them your name or your last name. You don't have to tell them your occupation. And so I've really, anonymity is great. I've kept my occupation from most people because I think that relationship will change when they find out what I do for a living. And I don't want it to change. So Mike and I went out to lunch just about six, eight weeks ago. We went out to lunch together, and it was a great, a fine establishment. Uh, owned by some guys in this church. And um, all the a lot of kids from our church work there. And Mike said, hey, you want to go to this place to eat? And I said, yeah, I'd like that. I think it's okay. <laughs> so we were walking in and I said, uh, hey, Mike, you know what? I thought I'd mess with them a little bit. I said, hey, when we walk in, there's going to be this like pretty girl waiting at the door. And she's going to greet me and she's going to give me a big hug. It's Amanda. She goes to church here. She does it all the time, you know. And he goes, yeah, right. And he peppers his language pretty good, you know. I mean, there's some, you know, he said some other things. Called me an old man, wishful thinking, all those kinds of things. And I walked in, and true to form, Amanda gives me a big hug, and she says, hi, Pastor Ron. (laughs) and Mike steps back and he's going and I'm thinking I know what he heard (laughs) and Amanda looks at Mike and she said he dedicated me when I was a baby (laughs) and you could see he's just totally confused because people up to this point thought I was either a mafia boss or a lawyer or something and he's just looking at me and he goes like what is he is he like your is he like your godfather like did he dedicate you? Do you kiss his ring? What, how does this thing work? So we're walking out of the restaurant. I could see he's scratching his head. He's just kind of walking down the sidewalk. And I said, Mike, you wondering what I do for a living? And he goes, kind of. I said, Mike, I'm a pastor. And he said, no bleep. That's what he said. I said, really? And he goes, oh. Oh, he was like, how many F-bombs have I dropped? And I said, see right there. This relationship is going to get funky because I need a truth teller in my life. You've been a truth teller in my life. And if that's what it takes for you to tell me the truth, then drop them. And he just stood there, and he started to get tears in his eyes. And I said, Mike, I need you as my neighbor. Please be my neighbor. We were walking, and he looked at me, and he goes, you know, I'm not afraid of God. <laughs> Thinking, man, he's like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, probably not afraid of anybody. And then he looks at me, and he goes, I'm not afraid of you, and I'm not afraid of church. And then he looked at me and he goes, so when can I come to your church? Mike's been coming here the last few weeks. He told me I could tell you that. And he loves you. He thinks this is the greatest place. I said, man, I sit in here and I feel warm all over. Don't know what the blank's happening to me, but I feel warm all over. I need neighbors who help me when I'm in trouble. And you need neighbors that'll help you when you're in trouble. God is calling me to change the way that I look at my neighbor, not to see them as Gentiles or Jews or insiders or outsiders or liberals or conservatives or churchgoers, non-churchgoers, heathen, straight, gay, whatever. God has put people in my life because I need them and they need me and we need to figure out how to do life together and let the light shine that's in you. Amen. This is going to probably revolutionize the way we live. We label them or we love them. You have a choice. You can't label and love. You can't love and label. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Let's pray together. Let me, let me pray. Would you bow your head? And if you have a mind to, just put your hand over your heart because I know that's what needs to be healed in me the most is my heart. Jesus, please change the way that I look at people. And forgive me for... Categorizing, forgive me for labeling others. Even if it's only done in my head. And even if it's only done slightly. There's harm that comes through that. And I've fallen short of seeing people, my neighbors, the way that you see them. When you came as our neighbor, you reached out to all people. You drew near to the sick. To the sinners, to the outcasts, to the misfits, and you touch them with your love. And so teach me to walk in the mess of the world that's around me like you did. Teach me to see others with eyes of hope and eyes of love. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say together, amen. Amen we're going to do this now we're going to prepare our hearts to come to the lord's table and also uh, during this time our family blessings you're going to see uh some of our pastors and our prayer teams around this building and that you can go to them and just have them pray over you and your family for just this blessing a blessing for the year 2014 just do that and i know god will honor that god will bless you I'm going to invite Annette up and we're going to do communion together. I want to just give you a few things to think about because, listen, communion confronts us with some realities that can change the way that we live life. Did you know that? I think that's why Jesus said, do this often. You know, come to the table often because when you do, you're confronted with realities that that provoke you to make decisions about Your life and about your relationship with God, about your relationship with others. That's why we come to the Lord's table. It's something that we're asked to do that helps expedite and bring change to our lives. And sometimes I know I get caught up in the routine of it. It's not meant to be that way. It's meant to confront you with a reality of of things that can change you. When you come to the table, it's meant to confront you with the reality of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The reality is this. The reality is the blood of Jesus was shed for you so you could have forgiveness of sin. And that if you really believe that, your mental health skyrockets. Your emotional stability is like a rock. Your physical well-being is vibrant. Why? Because you recognize through the shed blood of Jesus the reality of his blood shed. I'm forgiven. Unforgiveness is what makes us sick, sick people. And so Jesus says, let me confront you with the reality of the Shed blood, my shed blood, so that you can live a forgiven life, so that you can forgive others, so you could be healthy people. When you come to the table, you're also confronted with the reality of his broken body. And it's that his broken body has made a way for you to have a relationship with God. That's really what it is. And it's the reminder that his presence is always with you. Imagine living with that confidence, I mean, really embracing And living with the confidence that God's presence is with you right now, that He never leaves you, He never forsakes you, that He that He doesn't evacuate when your life gets messy and tough and rough and ugly, when your marriage is shaky, when addiction comes in, He doesn't evacuate. His promise is this: He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will always be there. It's the bread, it's the broken body of Jesus that reminds us that he's right here with us. He's here hanging out with us. I need that. That's a reality that changes the way I live. And then there's another reality. Another reality I'm confronted with when I come to the table is the reality of who my neighbor is right now. Because communion isn't meant just to be that personal interaction you have with God. That's part of it. But if you'll notice, it's meant to be done in the context of neighboring. It says here that when you go to the Lord's table, you need to, you need to get things right with your neighbor. It says if you need to ask your neighbor to forgive you or if you have an offense, it says right now, it's practical. It's it's a reality. It's saying you've got to get that right. Get that right. The table reminds us that we live with each other. We have life together. And it's reminding us that the reality is it's screwed up sometimes. God says here's an opportunity, here's a chance for you to make that right with your neighbor. Whatever that is, that you have a chance to make it right. That's a reality that changes us, that helps us live a life that honors and pleases God. In the Bible, it says this. The Apostle Paul said, for I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
1: As I was thinking about coming and sharing communion with you this weekend, I just kept having the song go through my head. And it was, you've turned my mourning into dancing again. You've lifted my sorrow And I kept singing that all week long, just even that one phrase. And I just kept anticipating what it meant as we come to the communion table together. And I thought about um, coming and sharing and practicing together and coming to this holy sacrament. And what it means. And that all the things that we mourn in life, all the things that we grieve in life, death, death sicknesses, brokenness, our own brokenness, others' brokenness that makes us feel broken, unforgiveness, confusion, just all the things that we grieve in life. The table represents the finished work that Jesus did in order for us to dance. And I just have to choose to dance. He's turned my mourning into dancing again. He's lifted my sorrow. And so I was looking at the scriptures, and there's two men in the scriptures that wrote that same phrase. One's an optimist and one's a pessimist. One is David, who I would consider an optimist, even and he was an honest guy, but he he wrote it in Psalm 30. He said, You've turned my morning into dancing. Then the pessimist is Jeremiah, and he wrote it in Jeremiah 31. So whether or not what you're facing in life and how your disposition is, it doesn't matter because the truth is still the same. He's turned our mourning into dancing. It's a statement. It's not something that he said he will do. He said he has done it. And he said he did it when he was on the cross because when he shed his blood and his body was broken... Jesus is the one who said, it is finished. There's nothing more that I can do. Everything in order for you to dance is done. And when I think about dancing and you think about dancing, it's sometimes circumstantial. You know, you dance when you're happy. You dance when the occasion calls for it. But in this case, dancing looks different. I choose to dance... When I choose not to work or worry my problems away. Hmm. I choose to dance when I choose to trust God instead of stress. Every time I choose to trust instead of stress. I choose to dance when I amplify gratitude in my life. Hmm. Or when I mute grumbling. I dance every time I come to a place even smack dab in the middle of muck, and I choose to encounter God. And I call out to him. That's when I dance. And sometimes that dancing isn't very pretty. It's not um, always that ballroom type dancing. It's sometimes the Elaine dancing on Seinfeld. Mm. (laughs) And we have examples of people who danced in the middle of stuff in their life, in the middle of brokenness in their life. We just need to choose to dance. Paul and Silas danced while they were in prison. Jonah danced when he chose to pray in the belly of a well. David danced when he was in the wilderness running for his life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they danced while they were in the furnace. And Jesus, he danced with God when he was in the garden. The night, the day that he was going to be crucified, the day that he knew the pain that was before him, he danced with God and said, Thy will be done. And so when we come to the table and we break the bread and we take the sacraments and we we acknowledge that everything that we mourn has been accomplished here and it's our opportunity to remember what jesus did for us would you choose to dance today when you come to the table
0: paul goes on and he he says this he says in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me there's another language that has a better depiction of what that really means for us and what Jesus really did the word is kenosis, it's a Greek word and the word means this, it means he totally emptied himself out he didn't hold anything back from you everything that you know and have seen on the cross is what you know and what you see Is that he poured out his blood? His blood was emptied as a sacrifice for many, so that many could have life, that we could have healing, that we could have forgiveness, that his blood was emptied. He emptied himself out so that we could have that. He didn't hold back. He didn't look at you and say, "Eh, You didn't just really deserve this much or that. I'm gonna hold a little bit back on you. There's no one in this world, there's no one in this room that he's held anything back from. He gave it all. And that's what we're reminded of when we come to the table. That his body was broken so that we can dance. So that my sorrow, my mourning, is turned to dancing. And he emptied himself out with his blood so that we could have Everything afforded to us by God. He's not holding anything back from you. What a beautiful God that is. Would you just bow your head? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. And I'm going to pray. And when we're done praying, once again, I want to invite our families to go to the prayer teams that will be, and our prayer teams can start making their way as well around the building you can go to the prayer teams and just pray together for a blessing this coming year. You can come to the Lord's table. You can do it in any order you want. Go have prayer, come to the Lord's table or come to the Lord's table, go have prayer, however you'd like to do it. And uh, I know the Lord will bless us. Father, we just come to this place where we thank you for what you've done for us, that we see you just in a, Maybe a different light today, that you became our neighbor. You valued neighboring so highly that you even inserted it into one one thing that was asked of you. What is the greatest law? They didn't ask what the two greatest laws were. They asked what the one greatest law was, but you you brought in a second one. And that is to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. Lord, as we come to this table with our neighbors, let us be reminded of what you've done for us. Let us be reminded The reality of getting relationship right and together can happen in this place. That this is a good place, a safe place, an honest place for us to deal with our stuff. Thank you for letting us do that in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: can contact the church
0: office tuesday through thursday from nine to five and fridays from nine to three at 503-266-4444 please visit us on the web anytime at canby4square.com. pastor ron and others on new life staff along with occasional guest speakers trust that the holy spirit will use the message to teach you encourage you and give you hope